This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. We have all seen the saga of United Airlines having a passenger dragged off an overbooked flight over the weekend. And most of you have seen the somewhat veiled attempts by United to say they were sorry. But there are also other instances of this as well by the carrier. And all as CEO Oscar Munoz was recently voted by PR Week magazine as its CEO of the year. We wanted to take a look at what has transpired in this case the last few days. Joining me in studio, our friend Mike Useem, director of the Center for Leadership and Change Management here at Wharton. He's also co-host of Leadership in Action on Sirius XM 111 every Thursday night, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And joining us on the phone, John Strong, professor of finance and economics at the College of William and Mary, and Ken Button, professor in the School of Policy and Government at George Mason University. Mike, great to see you again as always. Dan, right. great to be here. John, Ken, great to have you both on the phone with us today. Thank you. Thanks for inviting us. Thank you. Uh, Before we get into the questions, I do want to play a little bit of a clip from earlier today. Uh, Oscar Munoz was on Good Morning America, and uh, they asked him his reaction to when he saw the video of the gentleman being dragged off the plane. Probably the word ashamed comes to mind. You know, as I think about our business and our people, um, the first thing I think is important to say is to apologize to Dr. Dow, um, his family, Uh, the passengers on that flight, our customers, our employees. That is not who our family at United is. And you saw us at a bad moment. And this can never, will never happen again on a United Airlines flight. All right. So, Mike, uh, you first. You react to that comment. uh, Well, uh, the apology is a little bit uh, late, but great to have it. And I think the, the key point here, Dan, is that as we watch that video, everybody's seen that now. Yeah. 30 million people in China have viewed that video. At least, I think we're there. We're the person being dragged off. Yeah. And so I think in that sense, the apology critical for restoring a notion among the, the viewing public here that that's not going to happen to us. Uh, just to make a uh, kind of a, a twist on all this, I think the flight was 1429 that Sully Sullenberger uh, the flight from yep. heaven landed in the Hudson. Yep. This is flight uh, 3411, the uh, the flight from hell from Chicago to Louisville. <laughs> We're not going to forget that. But uh, great to, to see the CEO in a full-throated apology now saying we, we fouled up on that and we're going to make up for it. John? Um, I, th- I think that's right. Although um, I, what, I would, what I have been mostly thinking about is that the fact that this situation arose was in part because of the situation that United – put itself into with respect to its operations, especially at its hubs and especially with its uh, uh, regional flights. Um, in, in particular, um, you know, at United, um, United's O'Hare operations right now are running about 88% full. And what that means is that, that for these smaller flights in particular, which are 60% of the total flights out of O'Hare, um, when I'm running 88% load factors, that means that about 25% of my flights are completely full. So United has built no cushion into its system mm-hmm. to deal with irregular op- operations, delays, um, crew changes, and so on. So they brought the situation in themselves by the way they've run their operations. Ken? Uh, I entirely agree with John. Um, I would add, though, that it's, it's not just United in, in this situation. Look what happened to Delta when they had the 
the storm in Atlanta last week, that right. caused a massive delays for exactly the same reason. Going back, come back to Mike's earlier point, I'm English, as you may figure out from my accent. <laughs> and when we have these sorts of incidents in the UK, there's usually a fairly quick and what I would call sensible and sensitive response yeah. and management. I do find in the United States, because of the legal situation, the threat of legal action against you, that there's a tendency for CEOs or spokespeople for companies to actually be rather reticent early on to make their opinions felt. And I think that's uh, rather damaging for industry in general, not simply the airlines. Now, the other interesting piece to this, uh, and, and this is something, Mike, we traded emails uh, earlier today about this, is, is the fact that this hasn't been the first time that something like this has happened, maybe not to this extent. There was a, a, an article that came out uh, yesterday, I believe it was, a gentleman by the name of uh, Jeff Ferns, who is the uh, president of uh, Tri-Pacific Capital Partners. He was talking about being basically moved out of a first-class seat into a coach and being stuck between yeah. a husband and wife that were, you know, in a, in a fight and screaming at one another. He moved out of this seat. But it does go to what's being done at the gate in terms of the preparation for the flight, whether that is packing too many people in there, letting too many people on yeah. the flight to begin with. What happens if there is a change of plane and maybe it's a slightly smaller plane? I mean, there's a lot of factors at the gate that really need to be yeah. addressed. Well, Dan, to pick up on that and what John and Ken have both said, the apology today is terrific, but it's only a small first step to rethinking United policy. And it's not, in my view, unlike what happened at Wells Fargo uh, top people said we want these policies now to on uh, creating uh, new accounts to be followed. You have to follow those policies, or we're going to fire you. And uh, look what happened there. Uh, and I think, uh, in that sense, in a in a deeper regard here, the problems at the gate were not the problems caused just by the gate people, but the but ultimately the policies that the airline had put in place uh, for reasons that both uh, Ken and John have been uh, referencing there. Uh, and thus, this is Enterprise Management 101, and I think in the days ahead, the top management is going to have to get on top of the policies, yeah. the practices that they impose that led to this disaster. Ken, what do what you really think should have played out here? And, and again, the, the reaction of Oscar Munoz is, is, is the one that a lot of people are focusing on, considering the fact that apparently he sent an email around to employees that, you know, yeah. that, that they handled this properly, and now obviously he's had to go back and, and make an appearance on a national television show to kind of recant himself. I mean, this this really does put Oscar Munoz, somebody that obviously has gone through a, a lot of personal strife with health issues the last couple of years. This has put him really square on the on the firing line here. Yeah, I mean that's absolutely true. I believe though, uh, hmm. what's really interesting is actually to have more information on what the security person was asked to do by the airline. Yeah, um, it was the member of security that took him off the plane. And I'd like to know what the captain said, what the cabin crew instructed the security people to do. And that needs to be chased through. And if he was simply looking at the actions of his own staff, then there certainly could be a systems problem. But you've also got to ask about the security folk and how they behaved in this situation. And that does, but, and that does become a, a, a key question, John, because the, the security people, that, that's the airport. That's not, that's not United Airlines. Yeah, that's correct. Um, although uh, the the issue of when they are called and, and what they're asked to do, um, I think that varies a bit airport yes. by airport. But um, 
Uh, but I think Ken's exactly um, exactly right on that. I do think there's a there's a lot of particular pressure on on United um, in in two ways. One is that that there's been investor pressure to put more um, airline operating expertise in the senior executive suite, given that uh, uh, Oscar Munoz came from the railroad industry, um, and so so I think that's been part of part of the issue. And then the other thing is United has been under a great deal of pressure to improve their profitability because their profitability has only been about one third of the other major carriers. And so that puts lots of pressure on the system to push to the limit all the time. And that's particularly true as any of us who fly regularly realize that the the small operations at, at hub airports, in particular, the regional jet operations, the United Express operations, are the ones that are often um, the most unreliable, the most inconsistent, and and that's and it's not a surprise that this is the part of the United network that 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 had the problem. It wasn't a mainline United flight between hubs. It was a United Express flight going to a smaller city. Mike, yeah. Uh, well, to pick up on what John said, that was it's really interesting to appreciate the fact that the company and the top management team, in particular, is under enormous pressure for better performance. And the same thing at uh, Wells Fargo, the same thing at VW. And as we trace what's happened at VW and Volkswagen that led to those respective disasters, it seems to me there's a strong parallel here. At least we can infer there probably is. So as the top management team is telling uh, its (laughs) regional carriers here to uh, deliver in the following ways, if we have to get pilots from point A to point B, uh, pull passengers off the aircraft. That is uh, the policy we're going to follow. Yeah. Um, and without appreciating how that policy, abstractly put, and maybe this is the lack of full extensive operating experience at the very top, under some cir- circumstances can lead to this uh, this disaster. So the airline unequivocally would not want this to happen. It took a point off the stock price yesterday. This is going to be news for a couple of days. Lots of people are declaring they're not going to fly United. I think that will subside. Uh, But I think the bigger point is really a, uh, call it a management issue here, and that is under pressure, top management is going to put in very tough measures to get results, but we have to appreciate human nature, and sometimes human nature doesn't come out the way we would think abstractly it ought to, and that's what happened here. Well, and I guess part of what happened, Ken, is also the fact that I guess another United crew needed to get to Louisville so that they could fly another flight out of Louisville someplace else, and that was part of the reason why they needed to shift some people around. My question to you is, with your background uh, overseas, the concept of flying standby here in the United States is something that a lot of people are used to. One, what do we do potentially about that? And two, again, with your expertise in Europe, is that something that is a common factor around the globe? Well, first of all, let me say bumping is very common in the States, as you implied. I think South and West does a large amount of bumping. And, you know, it could simply be that this was bad luck for United. It occurred to them. It could occur to some of the other airlines. I think there's a lot of pressure on capacity, as everyone's been saying. In Europe, we've got different systems. There's very little bumping because um, Ryanair, the world's largest international carrier by passengers, actually has an entirely different system of operations. It simply flies people and crew and airplanes backwards and forwards between a hub. Uh, sorry, from a base, not a hub. And therefore, there's no people changing planes. Pilots don't change planes. They fly the same plane every day. 
because the geography is different. You know, you've got an entirely different geography. The U.S. Yeah. is five large populations, one in the middle and somewhere on the outside. Different model. Um, I think in this country, uh, if you start looking at the operations rooms of these airlines, they're massive. The airlines have massive operation rooms. And the interesting part is a large proportion of that space is actually taken up by getting crew in the right place, not the airplanes. When you have a storm or something, people think the problem is relocating planes. It's often actually getting the crew with enough flying hours in the right place at the right time with the right hardware. It's a very complicated industry. 844 Wharton is the number if you'd like to join in with a comment about what happened with United Airlines and the passenger over the weekend. 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Mike, you talked about uh, about the review that United yeah. is really going to have to do here. At, but to a degree, even though a lot of this has played out with United, this may be an airline, more of an airline industry topic that needs to be discussed that a lot yeah, of totally. a lot of airliners, <laughs> airline companies need to look at. And that's partly why it's gone viral. I think everybody listening to this program that's ever flown in the last uh, 12 months will attest to the fact that uh, it's become more challenging, sometimes more chaotic, uh, more anxiety producing to be in the air these days. And let me pick up in particular on uh, one reference that uh, Ken offered up there. And that is apparently, and we'll see how the data plays out on this. Maybe John's got a thought on this one as too. When the announcement first in the aftermath of this disaster was made by United that it had removed four passengers because it was overbooked, yeah. uh, the assumption, without clarifying that to the public, like us, is that there were other passengers that also had a, a boarding pass and a ticket, and uh, they, they had, of course, some right to get on that flight as well. Yeah. But it did turn out, and this was not revealed until later on, that this uh, this passenger and three others were bumped not because there was overbooking, but because the company had a policy of flying pilots at the expense of passengers yep. if needed. So there is an example of a policy coming out of uh, ultimately headquarters or flight operations, wherever that may be, that uh, should be reexamined because ordinarily uh, not an issue, but that was like maybe a, a time bomb waiting to happen, and that's exactly what occurred. John? I think that's right, and I and I think that that the airlines um, in this current cycle have been so keen to not expand capacity and to improve profitability that where we so for example in this particular Chicago Louisville flight this was a 5 p.m. flight getting into Louisville um, um, about eight o'clock. There used to be another later flight that left at eight o'clock in the evening, and so so the you know that last flight out for the day or the the middle of the afternoon flight when i take one flight out of a bank of flights that gives me much less room for error and much less cushion to accommodate four more pilots right and so so i think you know as we as we've managed for profits we've really really tightened up on capacity and and as we've gotten closer and closer to 90% it means there's just not the extra seat that you could put somebody in well john i'll i'll throw in a little personal experience from a couple of weeks back, I, I had to go down to Miami uh, for the Wharton Global Forum, and I was sitting on the plane going down next to a pilot 
who was going down to Miami because he was basically the backup pilot. I mean, he had he was telling me the story about being in Miami for basically three days, and he had to be he had to be there ready to go if something happened. If another pilot you know didn't make it into Miami from another city, well, he would be the guy that would be plugged in. So I mean, these airlines are are, are moving not only the pilots around to get to specific flights, but they're moving around just to have them ready in case there's another problem on top of this. Dan, that's that's true, um, but that is much more true on the mainline flights with the larger jets. So when you get to the smaller jets, they don't have that backup reserve capacity that you just talked about. So, you know, in the case of Chicago and Houston and and Newark, where almost two-thirds of the United flights are the regional flights, there just isn't reserve capacity on those on those particular smaller operations, the United Express operations. We are joined by Mike Useem of the Wharton School, John Strong of uh, the College of William and Mary, Ken Button of George Mason University. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. We're talking about United Airlines and the mess that they are going through right now after what happened on one of their flights over the weekend with a passenger being dragged off of the flight. Uh, just for a brief moment, John, talk about the economics of this, because uh, yesterday, obviously, uh, shares in United really uh, went down. The valuation I saw lost was like $1.4 billion for one day. The irony is, is that uh, Oscar Munoz goes on this interview with Good Morning America, and I don't know if it's 100% totally linked, but Shares of United Airlines are up today. Yeah, I, I think that, that uh, you know, share markets sometimes are episodic in character, and they react <laughs> sort of shortly, and then they recover. I think the larger economic question for United is going to be whether this does have an effect on uh, bookings going forward. And where I would particular be, p- particularly be paying attention to that is the reaction, as Mike pointed out, um, in China was very dramatic, and this is a huge, important international market. Right? And and if United has a negative reaction in the Chinese market, that actually has a, a significant impact on on the overall performance of the airline. And so I think Mike was right to call that out. That that you know this is not just a question of of um, you know, a few regional jets, but it also had a, a global impact on the perception of the company and, and possibly on the willingness of international travelers to fly. John, to pick up on that, uh, I personally have flown many times from uh, Newark here, Newark International Liberty, uh, to Beijing and to Shanghai, and United's got a great connection, and I'm not going to stop taking that uh, connection. And that's a way of saying that uh, given the, uh, the way that uh, airplane markets and systems work, I think the restoration of the United price is to be expected, that there's just a... a, a People like me are going to continue to fly. But as you said a moment ago, Mike, when a lot of people are actually thinking about whether or not they want to fly United because of this incident, a lot of people have commented, look, in the end, people will make the decision on what the lowest fare is. And, and that's a, and that's a factor for a lot of people. Well, they uh, certainly will. And I'm going to turn this over to my two colleagues who know a lot more about this than I do. Uh, the market in the U.S. anyway is relatively concentrated. We're down to kind of four major yep. carriers, yep. a bunch of secondary folks. And so not that we're in a monopoly situation, but frankly, I don't have a lot of choice when I fly certain routes now. Not only four major carriers, but at some airports, we're talking 80 percent 
only one carrier. So oh. anyway, Ken and John, over to you on that one. Ken? Yeah, I've been back to that. You, you basically had no choice before deregulation in 1978. That's true. You essentially have one airline going point to point. So um, the, the competition is there, particularly through indirect routings. I, I fly a lot and a uh, tremendous amount. And, you know, I, I go into a website and I find I have 40, 50 or 60 alternatives. Okay, some are longer, some are more expensive. Some involve um, two changes, but there's a lot of options out there we never had before. I come back to the point about price, though, which Mike raised. I think it was Mike. People just want a cheap way of getting from A to B. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, Mike O'Leary, the guy who started Ryanair in Europe, which tends to have uh, the least satisfaction record, but also the most returned passengers, which is a ironic uh, juxtaposition of facts, he basically said, I'm selling a product, not an experience. So people don't like a bad experience, but like many bad experiences, they forget them very quickly. John, I, I think that's I, I think that's right. I um, it is a, a, an extraordinarily price sensitive um, uh, market. Um, what, but what I would say is there are some mechanisms that you could that you could use to better manage this. So one one simple issue is if we are going to be um, in a continuing state of, you know, where flights will be overbooked because people don't show up, right, then, then the answer is you never want to have a situation that occurred two days ago. What you want is to handle this in the gate area and actually preferably even at check-in. So some airlines have gone to um, when you check in at the, at the kiosk, it, it basically says this is an oversold flight. Would you be willing to volunteer, and how yeah. much money would you would you require? So there are ways to use technology to make this um, situation more manageable, um, economically handled better, and and with less disruption at the gate and on the plane. And so I think technology is a way that's going to help us manage that. But United has to be quicker, and the other airlines have to be quicker at at, at adapting and rolling this technology through. John, I, I want to ask you something because the, the, the financial component for those people that get into that situation is kind of interesting. A lot of times they start out by saying, okay, we'll offer you $400 and we'll put you on the next flight out to get you there. I heard somebody say earlier today, and I'll run this past you, that they will go as high as like thirteen dollars or $1,400 in the end to actually move somebody off of a flight. Right. So the way the way that it works is depending on how long the flight is, is the next flight mm -hmm. is, um, you could receive up to thirteen hundred and fifty dollars um, if it was longer than four hours. And, and basically, the, the, the general rule is four times the price of your the value of your one way ticket. Um, with a maximum of thirteen fifty, so um, I, I think that that uh, uh, you know that that's basically a limit. I think what the airlines will quickly realize from this series of events is that while that may be a legal um, construct and a regulatory principle, um, that that in a situation like this where you have four flight crew that you really think have to be there, that, that offering 1500 or $2,000 would be the right answer. So, so yeah. I, I think that the airlines are going to have to rethink what that compensation is and don't look to the government regulators as a way to guide that, but rather to the market forces and the value of the, uh, of the um, oversold situation. 
Mike, did it did it surprise you that yesterday we had the the, the first comments come out from United Airlines via Twitter and and obviously you know uh, about uh, the internal email? Did it surprise you that that came out first and then obviously Oscar Munoz now is having to go back and and kind of clean up the mess uh, today? You know, I think United's got some work to do along that line. Airlines, maybe more than any other industry, are crisis management prepared. Uh, all major airline, all airlines uh, worry about a, a significant um, accident and are kind of they have resources in place to respond. They were not really in place to fully and correctly respond on this one. I think they're going to learn a lot. And maybe just to give that a what amounts to a final spin here. I often think we do learn most about <clears throat> what can go wrong when things do go wrong, yeah. and now we got to reconstruct. And I think the chief of operations for United, the chief risk officer for United, top management, and even the board would wisely look at this in some detail and work out um, new practices and policies that would not let this kind of happen, this thing happen again. And by the way, this is only one event. <clears throat> there may be others oh, out yeah. there. Uh, anyway, yeah. they got to get on top of that now. Ken? No, I entirely agree with that. I think the electronic communication, though, is simply mirroring the way the U.S. is being governed from the center at the moment. We learn most things from Twitter's mimic and the formal statement later on policy. So that's simply the way the world's gone. The danger with it is what we saw yesterday. You say things not well thought through, and subsequently the actual policies you have to adopt are somewhat different. I think, um, as people have been saying, this is... There's millions and millions of people that fly every day. Millions and millions of people um, have very satisfactory trips for the money they pay. But it is these, there are these odd incidents which cause problems, and they shouldn't be there. There are things which are soluble. As I say, I'd like to know exactly, and he may have been right, the, the uh, chair of uh, United, when he said his staff acted correctly, it could well be it was a problem with the airport, and we yeah. tend not to think of that. Great to have all three of you on with us today. Thank you, John. Thank you, Ken, for joining us on the phone. Thanks. All, all the best to you both. Thank you. Mike, great to see you as well. Thank you very, very much. Good. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.